that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I gave my love a story that had no end. I give. Sorry. It's the Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. The Mexican food is so bad down there that you go to Chipotle. You understand how good Chipotle is? I mean, you, you don't like it? <laughs> Do I understand how good Chipotle is? <laughs> how good can it be? Every time I have it, it's good. But I get into the line, or, I, or actually, I didn't get into the line. I, I, they got a drive-through here, but you got to order it online ahead of time. But I go to the walk-up, and the, the inside is closed, so they say online orders only. Okay, that's gonna cut off my time a little bit to have eaten this food. So I just, you know, order it online. I had to sign up for an account, all that stuff. I get in line, oh, it's not ready. I got to go around one more Wait, time. Wait, you have a Chipotle me. account? I set it up. I had it already for the free burrito, you know, monthly burrito, whatever they do. Oh, man, you're going to have to pay me to eat that burrito. Whoa, 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 wait. So you had it already, so but then you had to set it up again for tonight? I didn't have payment set up and all that kind of oh. stuff. You know, I don't like putting that stuff in my phone. No. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. But let me understand. In bumfuck, wherever you are now, they're so behind the times that they're just now starting to limit ordering to through the app instead of being able to order in person or this has been happening the whole time no i think it was just something happened today they closed the inside of the store so it was online orders only whatever i had to do it this way and here we are so maybe it was really like down to the wire there this was a major oh my god and i have to wait to eat otherwise everybody's gonna hear me eating my chipotle and you don't want to hear that what did you get a veggie burrito bowl with uh Everything except meat. What else would I get? I, I don't know. You don't even get it wrapped in a tortilla? You don't even do no, that? No, because you need a fork anyway when you eat the chipotle, that big-ass burrito. You need a fork anyway. You might as well just put it in a bowl. I don't need a tortilla. That's just Yeah, because it's flour. a goddamn mess. You, you need a shovel is what you need for that shit. Yes, I would shit, love a shovel. This is sh- good stuff. Shit needs shovels, not forks. You don't like chipotle, you're telling me. I don't think I've ever eaten chipotle. So you can't judge it, you're, t- you're saying. You don't I have... just don't think it looks good. Hold on. What about Qdoba? <laughs> Ooh. So it's kind of like that, right? I think yeah. I've, I've had it once. In uh, the south, in the south, they got another one called Salsarita. It's pretty good, but it's a little, it's more white than Mexican, even though Chipotle is <laughs> not really Mexican. Oh, okay. All right. Now, now I get it. <laughs> Scott, what's your go-to Mexican place in Chicago? Uh, I mean, there's El Presidente. There's a lot of places I used to go to. All right. Me and a 
a friend of mine, Blake, Blake Smith, we did this article about uh, burritos. Uh, I forget what magazine it was, but we were trying to figure out the best burrito in Chicago. Chicago has got some great burritos. Um, We're trying to get the best one. So we went and ate like five burritos in one day. So (laughs) I have not been able to eat burritos since then. Um, I really broke my burrito bank that day. Also, uh, something happened to me, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Nash, Nash Cato from, uh, Urge Overkill. He, I was telling him I had a burrito. He goes, Oh, and he called a burrito, a dung bag. He goes, Oh, you had a dung bag. <laughs> and that kind of ruined me for burritos as well. Um, so every once in a while, there'll be a great burrito, but, um, more of a taco, taco guy. Um, oh yeah. There's a place right down the street, El Barco. I go there at least once a week. So I don't have to go to Chipotle, okay? And I know how that makes me sound, but I, I have a hard time believing that, that Chipotle is the best you can do, in even in South Carolina. Well, it, it's either Chipotle or Taco Bell. When I need a quick burrito... I'll take Taco Bell. Mm, I, I do Taco Bell st- too, but you know sometimes that doesn't cut it. You know, it's just... I don't know. I know. Uh, you know what? I... I, I, I um, I don't like the way this conversation is making me sound. I sound like a snob, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's not Chipotle. real Mexican food. No, but I'm in, I'm near Greenville, South Carolina. You're not going to get good Mexican food down here. But I mean, we've been talking about good Mexican food on this uh, podcast since we started. And for you to pivot and say that you, you're cool and you're down with Chipotle. Do you realize it makes your entire argument moot? No, I, I bet you if people listen to this, I bet you more than half of them love Chipotle. The other ones just like it, and maybe some, no, not so much. I I interpret Gabe's history on this podcast talking about Mexican food in a different way. I feel like what he's been saying from the get-go is that he's been having a hard time finding any real edible Mexican food by him. And mm-hmm. so are you saying that the local mom-and-pop Mexican joints are so bad that you are now going to Chipotle as like the best of the bad options. No, I wouldn't say that. It's, no. it's not bad. I mean, it, they have a different style of Mexican food all over the country. You know, in Texas, mm-hmm. they got the Tex-Mex. California, there's a Cali Mex. I, I don't know what it is. And and what right. and what style Mexican is Chipotle? It's more of a Mexican American. Oh, it's corporate God. Mex. Yeah, you got a thing against McDonald's. Okay. Now, let me ask you, you don't? This. <laughs> is Chicago Mexican deep dish Mexican? <laughs> is that what they do? They have like an extra deep bowl. And, when I go I back know. to Illinois, I'm going to, what's it called? Tacos del Norte in mm-hmm. Gurney. Right. And See, if you guys want to... You, you know, you, the way you said that, you know, with that little... The tacos del norte. You don't get to say that anymore. Okay, what is it? You, you go to Chipotle? No, you can't do that. You've lost your privileges, man. Listen, uh, like, I'm a Mexican that cannot roll his tongue. I can't even say burrito with uh, two R's. Burrito. I, no, it's super easy. It. And if you would stop eating at Chipotle, you'd probably be able to do it. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I can continue this. This is. Uh, Change the subject. I'm trying to turn it around, though. I want. I'm. I'm just looking for tips in Chicago. Like, okay, I went to that. What's that club in Pilsen? 
um, where I would have mm. seen some shows over the last couple of years. I mean, not this last uh, year. Uh, oh, yeah. Thalia Hall? The Thalia, Thalia Hall. Hall. I went, I've seen yeah. a couple of shows at Thalia Hall, and me and my friend Steve Tiska go to Chicago, mm-hmm. and there's tons of good-looking Mexican restaurants in that Pilsen yeah. neighborhood. Right. And I'm trying to remember, we went to one that's like Trey's something or other, three-something, three, three blind well, mice. I don't know. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, that taco place, like across the street from that place. Mm-hmm. Pretty good place. But there's another place in that area I would definitely recommend it. It's called um, Chipotle. <laughs> and it is authentico. Sometimes you don't have the time to sit down and enjoy a real Mexican dinner. You just want to have a quick fix. Hey, I hope you have the time to sit down after that real Mexican <laughs> dinner that you just bought. So... Hey, is that Phil there? Oh, yes. Phil's lighting up. That's right. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can see you. Yeah, you can't see me too well, though. I can turn the lights up. It doesn't really matter that much. How's it going? It's like the first cigarette ever lit on Lifers. Get out of here. I'm feeling it. It is. Wow, it's nice to uh, have that distinction. I figured following Michael Shannon was going to be tough, but the cigarette really puts it over the top. Well, we can see more than your forehead. Uh, so, you know, Michael set a, a, a lower bar, but you know, here you are smoking cigarettes, showing your entire face. <coughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Michael's going to have to follow you. So it's Phil Palazzolo. Palazzolo. There you go. <laughs> Phil Pal- Hey, everybody. I'll take, at this point, I'll take anything. It's, it's my good friend, Phil Palazzolo. He's with us. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> my good friend, Phil Palazzolo. Phil, how have you been doing? I've been doing all right. Work starting to pick up? Yeah, a little bit here and there. You know, it's been a weird year because I mainly for the last three years I worked in TV and film and they kind of stopped that for a while. So, but yeah, start. I'm on two movies right now. So, so when was the last time you went out with a band? Was it the last time I saw you in Chicago? Was it? Uh, Let me think. uh, Where did I, where did I see you in Chicago? Van Fleet, I think. Oh yeah. I, I did some stuff after that, but that was the last longer tour I went on. That was, that was a riot. Jesus Christ. I mean, who, I didn't know. I'd never heard of them. And you're like, yeah, you should check out this band. Uh, it's starting to happen. It's starting to blow up. But I'm going to have to get you in the back. You can't come through the front because it was crazy sold out. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that was one of those tours where like every venue that we booked had to be changed to a bigger one because that, that song just exploded. I've never seen anything like that, really. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. Definitely not on the three by five tour. I'll tell you, that. It's not the three by five tour. Not That's the three the, by five. The absolute opposite of that, right? They had to yeah. make smaller venues. By the way, hi Gabe. It's been a been a minute. Yeah, it's been uh, what twenty five years. Oh wait a minute though. Were you not at the uh, the the album show at Rough Trade? I thought you might have been there. That when Joe got back up there. No, Gabe was not there. Oh, you weren't I was there. Not okay, on the tour, but I made a few stops, a few cameos or whatever you want to call them on that story. So, so you weren't in New York. Okay. No, I wasn't in New York. So then, yeah, it's been 25 years. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. That's half my life. I went half my life without experiencing the 3 by 5 tour. Yeah, that's true. We, we, A lot of I mean, people have done that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You could count on, well, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what, we, that's what we want to talk about tonight is uh, this tour. 
Um, I mean, I don't even know how to start talking about it other than just to say, uh, what, 25 years ago, we were on this tour called the three by five tour. And it was this tour that was mildly emblematic of the entire nineties major label feeding frenzy thing. Uh, it was this sort of, it was this tour and the whole idea was it would be three bands for five bucks and that people would come and see three bands that they didn't know for, a, you know, they'd be more willing to see bands like that if, if the price was cheap, like five bucks. What they didn't realize is nobody wants to go see anything. You know, they're not going to pay a dollar to go see three bands that they don't know. You know, you have to, you couldn't even pay them five bucks to see three bands they don't know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it even felt like uh, once we got out on the road, we didn't hear from anybody. (laughs) (laughs) This whole idea was that that it was uh, put together and there was going to be radio support and MTV support and label support and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and, and the bands on it were uh, Local H, Limb Lifter, and Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, and as it turns out, all of those bands had, um, I don't even know if I realized it at the time, but uh, that's how, what an idiot I am, but they all had polygram um, ties. So there was definitely something. Oh, that's right. Island was part of that group, yeah. Here. Right. And, and uh, Limb, Limb Lifter was on Mercury. Yep. Right. In the States. Uh, Right. And Stanford prison experiment was being looked at by, which I didn't know at the time was being looked at by our A&R guy, Joe Basso over at Island. So there was definitely, uh, something in it for, on this tour for, um, for the label that we were at. I can't remember if everybody had the same booking agent. There is this article in uh, billboard. Okay. And, uh, it says this guy, Mark Davis. Now, Phil, do you remember Mark Davis? I do not. Okay, he was from the agency, agency group. group. Nope. Yes, I do remember him, yeah. Now, we were never booked by the agency group, so <laughs> I don't know. It says, on the road, touring has long been a key to breaking new artists. Mark Davis of the agency group hopes to take that concept one step further by breaking several new acts on a low-priced package tour. It's called the 3x5 Tour and kicks off May 7th in Boston. The concept is to put three developing bands, starting with Mercury's Limb Lifter, World Domination's Stanford Prison Experiment, and Island's Local H on a package tour with a $5 admission to lure financially challenged music fans. Most of the dates are all-ages show shows. From an agency point of view, this is all about artist development, says Davis formerly with the William Morris Agency. There's hundreds of alternative bands out a month with, say, five support slots. So what are the other bands supposed to do? Artist development these days is MTV and radio, which you have no say in. This is a way to get cool kids out to see cool new bands. The tour, which rotates acts on a monthly basis, I, it was supposed to happen every month. Uh, did it happen after this? I, I, don't, think I, I don't I think it was the only one. Yeah, I will get the tour, which rotates acts on a monthly basis, will hit 20 major markets a month, including New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago, San Francisco, Dallas, Cleveland, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., Houston, Portland, Oregon, 
Phoenix, and Austin, Texas. The shows are heavily advertised in local newspapers and music weeklies and on radio stations in each market. In an attempted display of, here's where Billboard gets a little snarky, in an attempted display of quote-unquote indie credibility, the shows won't have any corporate sponsorship or 3 by 5 signage. That's maybe one reason it tanked. The ads will also be displayed on the 3x5 worldwide website on the internet at blah, blah, blah. For Limlifter, the tour coincides with its second single from its self-titled album, Tinfoil, which goes to Modern Rock Radio May 6th. The band kicks off, kicked off its North American tour by opening for Oasis in Vancouver. Wow. From Oasis to us. Awesome. <laughs> Airplay on lo- Local H's single High Five and MF is looking good as the song garnered number one phones on modern rock in San Francisco. The Power Duo second album is stories April 16th. Okay, so that's where we were. We had just put out our second record. Meanwhile, A&R folks have been checking out Stanford Prison Experiment, whose latest release, The Gato Hunch, is it Gato Hunch or is it The Gato Hunch? Gato. Gato, okay. The Gato Hunch came out August 1995. Success, no, that's it. That's, that's the article about the tour in the billboard. So before we go any further, let's talk about the bands. First there's Limb Lifter, and that was the band that you worked with, Phil. Yeah, that was, so just a quick backstory on that. So I had been uh, working with this New York band for a long time, recording them and touring with them, and then they got signed to Arista, and the management thought they needed someone like more experienced to go on the road. Actually, what they wanted was a guy who could tour manage and do sound, and I couldn't yet. So um, they hired someone else, and I guess they felt guilty, so they shoved me with one of their Canadian acts, and then this tour happened, and I was asked to do sound for all three bands for very little money, and if I would have known the kind of punishment on your ears that was, but I said, yeah, sure, and it turned out to be really fun in a way. You did sound for all of us? Yeah, you don't remember that? No. (laughs) Oh my God! You know, let's let's uh, take a listen to a song from that Limb Lifter record, uh, which, to my ears, sounds like a lost pop classic these days. Um, and so let's listen to Tinfoil.
remember that album. That's a great album. That album stuck stuck with me for years. And I played I, we played it in the van and it was great. Yeah, I put it on the other day and like every song came out. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this song. This song is great. Uh and and then Tinfoil was always weird because it had something to do with mayonnaise. And 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 the way he, yeah. you know, he, the way wait, that's the song that Kurt sang, right? Yeah. Yep. So Limb Lifter had two brothers, Ryan Dahl, Kurt Dahl, and then there was Ian Summers playing bass. Um, most of you might know Kurt from being in the New Pornographers. Uh, they're probably the biggest band to come out of this thing was the New Pornographers. Of all the people that played on this thing, I that mean, and, 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 and Phil going out with uh, Greta Van Geert, Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> well, I mean, but, uh, I guess comparatively you could say that, but I mean, didn't... Bound from the floor, stay on the charts for like 23 weeks or something like that. Wow, new, that thanks. never happened to the new pornographers. <laughs> I mean, don't get well, me wrong, they're need, amazing, but they don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. So Kurt went on to be in the new pornographers later, but at that time, he was, they were also in a band called a- Age of Electric, which That's they right. kept talking about, but I, I'd never heard of them. Like those guys were the most Canadian brothers <laughs> I'd, I'd ever. Saskatchewan, man. Oh my God, they were Canadian. Yeah. How was that? Because you were traveling with those guys. Oh my God, it was hilarious. I mean, it's, you know, I was like you, we were all very young. I hadn't spent much time in Canada or with Canadians. And there's just the subtle differences were always funny. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Um, yeah. I remember one, and this is a dopey aside, and you can cut this out, but we were driving into Pittsburgh and I was behind the wheel and Ryan was navigating. He's like, okay, he's like, you have to go through the Allegheny Tunnel. And I said, it's Allegheny, you fucking savages. And <laughs> they never let me forget that for years. <laughs> they never let you forget that. All right, so the other band uh, is Stanford, was Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, and th- they had a record that was out called The Gato Hunch. The Gato Hunch? Gato, is, all right, what is Gato Hunch? It's Cat. Cat? Okay, yeah. God. See, Pack I knew up it was the gonna, gatos. That record had one of my all-time favorite titles, You're the Vulgarian. So let's play You're the Vulgarian so people can it's get a, a feel for what Stanford was doing.
You want to take a bite of food there, Gabe? <laughs> what do you have in there? Chipotle, of course. Oh, God. Don't like get the, it. Like Don't the, get it. The mayo or the or the restaurant? That's a great question. The I don't know if we've actually established that yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, is, is there really a difference? <laughs> <laughs> that record sounds great, too. Like, that record has aged perfectly and 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 what those guys mario mike mark and davy were doing was uh like you know it was part of that whole touch and go type of thing not that they were on touch and go but you know had that noise type of thing happening but they were also like a little ahead of a lot of that stuff like they were really leaning in like if you listen to that song you're the vulgarian they're leaning into those like like the fall and they were really leaning into that gang of four type of stuff which uh turned out to be a little ahead of their time. Uh, you know, 10 years later, everybody was doing Gang of Four in the fall. But, uh, and the other thing that they were doing that I'm seeing this resurgence happening a lot. People are talking about Midnight Oil. And there was something about the way Mario fronted the band and the way he sung sometimes. And, you know, their hooks, even without the big harmonies, they had kind of a Midnight Oil thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think those records really 
both those records, both the Limb Lifters records and Stanford's records really, uh, really have aged really, really well. You know, just because you can't say this, yours has that record aged really well, too. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, in fact, I, I just popped it on the other day just because it's been a while. And uh, one funny thing, I remember see, hearing a radio edit of High Five and and it was almost all beep, the whole song. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, what did you think when you got that single for the first time? Like, oh, there's no song left. Like, well, I, I, I don't know if I minded so much. I almost felt like it was uh, like... A rap single or something like that. <laughs> Good know? point, yeah. Um, but I also was kind of like, I didn't think the song was going to do much, but I also knew that like we couldn't, it couldn't be the second single. It had to be the first single because you couldn't put out Bound for the Floor and then go back to High Five and Motherfucker. It had to be, all right, let's fail spectac- spectacularly with High Five <laughs> and then we'll see what happens with Bound, you know? Good plan. That's what I thought. That worked out. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't there a, wasn't there a video shoot for High Five right before this, or was it a I rem- before that? I remember you guys talking uh, about like when when we first what was the first date was in Boston, right at Axis. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Which was like loading into that place it was massive, and I was like, oh boy, and like <laughs> and and you know, at first, Scott, you can definitely be like a little intimidating until you like. And then the music's heavy, and you're like, "Oh, what's what's this guy like?" And then, like, then you really listen, and it's like so full of humor. You're like, "Oh, I get it now. He's not, he's not really as like kind of scary as he seemed at first, <laughs> at that time, you know." Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, you were pretty serious on the first couple of dates, and then I think the Stanford guys were like the big uniters because they would come up with stuff to do. Because we knew after a while, like this was just such a, you know, it, it was either empty rooms or like playing to dogs that had just been shown a card trick, you know, it was like, it was, you know, yeah, that was kind of it. There was no, there was one great show, right? What was it? I think by the time we got to Lupo's, uh, Bound for the Floor, it started to kick in. Seriously? Yeah, that Lupo's was crowded. I remember that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think anything was happening with Bound until a a lot later. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean... I'm trying to think. There was some. What happened when we got to 9:30 Club? There was some promo thing that showed up, and everybody was really mad. What was that? Do you remember? Oh, I, no. Was, Gabe. Maybe T-shirts because uh, there were boxes waiting for us at 9:30 Club for you guys, and then oh. there was like a fight. Like, <laughs> do, do I remember this wrong? No, this no, might no, be no. this might be the fuck you shirt at the Boston show. It was Boston. I think, I think we talked about this before. This was uh, these. Shirts had come for local H, and they all had "fuck you" on the back. Okay, so that happened then. Okay, is is that what it was? It must have been because I remember the band wasn't talking to each other, but I thought it was DC, <laughs> not Boston. <laughs> no, well, that would have. It was the first night in Boston. I remember getting all these boxes of shirts. On the front was the big Chevron logo, and on the back just big letters "fuck you." And Scott's like, "What the hell?" And I Joe's like, "What are you talking you about? This is perfect." The first show. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a big fight. Did we have did we have bets on this tour or to see how many people would show up? Is this the tour for that one or was that a different tour? No, this was this that was this tour. So I okay. would say about midway through, maybe when we started to get to I don't know, Pittsburgh or something like that. It was kind of like, all right, this tour is crashing and burning. 
how many people do you think are going to come tonight? So everyone would bet on how many people they thought were going to come. And, uh, and you know, people would get lower and lower. People, people <laughs> go like nine, you know, you know, so it was like whoever got the closest, uh, one. And that was usually the lowest. Uh, <laughs> there was also like nights that were mostly just covers and then other, right. I think Arizona, which I don't know if you remember this, Stanford came up with the idea to go tubing on Memorial mm-hmm. Day, and we took yeah. like coolers full of beer on the trip. That was a, that was actually really fun. But that show, the bands all swip, swapped sets and played each other's sets. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. I remember in Arizona, uh, uh, Rob Halford came. Yeah, he did. But, and he was the only one there. Right. So it was easy to spot him. It was like, wow, that's Rob Halford. Like, you see him? I, I remember playing, and I look over to my left, and I'm like, oh, there's Rob Halford. And I was like, holy shit, Rob Halford is here. And, you know, I walked up and gave him that high five of motherfucker cassette. But he was there to see Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, he didn't really care about the rest. He was like, oh, thanks. And then as soon as Stanford played, he, he was out of there. Yeah, well, he probably had a long day on the golf course. But in Boston, so that, that was the first date was at the Axis Club in Boston on May 7th, we had no idea what was going to happen. Like, we had every reason to expect this thing to be uh, gangbusters. I mean, did did you think that, Phil, or were you like, these guys have no idea what they're getting into? I, You know, I had thought that it was going to start slow, but that because everyone was on the beginning of an album cycle, that promotional stuff would start to happen, and we'd start to see some momentum. But... uh it didn't really work out that way for anybody, you know? Well, there were supposed to be MTV spots. Yeah. And I, I think I remember seeing uh, Kurt Loder talk about it at one point. But um, I think after a certain point, either the label was like, well, this isn't working, so let's not sp- spend money on this anymore. Or else MTV was like, we don't want to be uh, associated with this fucking sinking ship anymore. I'm not sure what happened, but it seemed like there was less. I can't imagine anyone on MTV knew it was a sinking ship. I just think they <laughs> forgot they they agreed to, you know, have any part of it and just walked, you know, like, or just, it just slipped their mind because nothing, it was not much radio happening. Like, I remember doing some press with Limb Lifter during that and very, very, very little. And yeah, I, I mean, it was just ill-conceived and then they sent us out in a boat with no oars. And, right. you know, I don't remember hearing, from, I don't even remember reps from like anybody showing up to shows. Like it was just, we were just on our own. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the worst idea in the world. You know, three bands for five bucks. I think somebody from the label, I, I think, uh, what, 930 Club in DC had a, a weekly night, maybe on Wednesdays or something. That was three by five night. And I think somebody from the label had seen that and said, why don't we do a full tour of that? You know, other clubs have that. Like uh, here in Chicago, the Metro had a thing called Rock Against Depression every Wednesday. And it would be, you know, three bands for maybe five bucks. Um, so it it's a the good idea. Yeah. No, it's a good idea. But but just uh, the idea that, that uh, people are that curious, um, they certainly overestimated people's curiosity yeah and i mean i don't know how many people were even aware of this concept like it, like you said if the 9 30 club did it on the regular one major difference is they did it with local bands and it became a thing right and then those local bands didn't have to go on the road 
and burn all their tour support while, you know, nothing's happening. Like, I mean, I think, I mean, you were probably the most fortunate out of that because you were probably close to added tour support by the time Bound for the Floor hit and they probably re-up. We burned a lot of money on that tour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were pretty frugal, but but yeah, that was like, what, like maybe the second tour that we had done that year? They, they had already had us out before the record came out. We had gone on tour with this band, Salt. Mm-hmm. We'd been out for at least a month, and we were out with Mystery Machine, another another Canadian band. Oh, yeah. Um, did a lot of Canadian stuff that year. Um, so I, I think the idea was to keep us out there. And and we were definitely looking for tours, and and this was about a, at a point where, before Bound hit, we couldn't get arrested. You know, we couldn't get on tours. Um, I thought you got arrested a lot. No. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You say Providence Lupos was a good show, but according to this poster, uh, not Lupos. Did I say Lupos? Moes. You, Moe's, Moe's, I'm sorry. New Mo- well, it was Moe's then. It wasn't New Moe's yet, right? Oh, Moe's in Seattle. That's it, right. I'm sorry. It was Moe's. Well, that was the last show. Yeah. That, and that's the story of my life. I was probably having the time of my but life there were by people then. There. You know, just a miserable fuck, you know? Yeah. But yeah. There that, were people it's, there. It's like high school. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sorry, not Lupo's. Oh, right. I do Let's love talk. That uh, yeah. Lupo's is good. Oh, I love Lupo's so much. It was great. It was great. It was so great. Uh, let's talk about this three by five poster before we go any further here. <laughs> what the hell is going on with this? No wonder nobody came. I mean, you can't see this poster, but uh, maybe Ben can put it up for you on the the little. You got to put this thing up. So it it's three bands, five bucks, the three by five logo, and it says sample this month's tasty specials, and it's got you know all of all of the bands logos there, and then it's got a picture of an old dude with sunglasses sitting on a park bench next to a girl who looks like she's 13 and he looks like he's coming on to her uh <laughs> and it looks like it was taken in the 70s or the 60s i don't know what the hell's going on with this thing no no wonder nobody came and what's going on down Who's that? That's not Chairman Mao. Who, who the hell is that? <laughs> it would be so funny if you put this poster up on the website and then get sued because it's like Ansel Adams or something. <laughs> Shit. That doesn't look like Ansel Adams. No, but <laughs> but what is going on with this poster? Can anybody? No. Ben, as somebody as somebody who wasn't there, can you make head or tail out of this thing? N- no. I don't know who those people on that bench are. I don't know. I don't understand anything about it. I don't understand what those. Um, is that Chairman Mao? What is it? Who who is that on the bottom of that? I don't know. It's not Mao. Mao. It's not Mao. It's uh, and he's is got it, a mustache. Uh, is it the guy who founded Chipotle? Maybe I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. This this is before. I mean, it's got a website on there. I mean, I don't even know if the internet was even a thing back then. Was it? <laughs> that that yes. was my that was the one thing I was wondering. Has anyone tried to go to that website and see what's up there? What? Oh, the uh, digx.net. It's got to be. Yeah, go. Go for it. See what happens. Okay. <laughs> they sent an read, email to my Earthlink account. Read me the <laughs> read me the website. It's in its entirety. I'm not. Uh, www dot access dot d i g e x dot net backslash uh, one of those catchy. Uh, is that what it is? 
uh, at three X five. Who's going to remember this? This who are the ad wizards that came up with this? this <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, no, it's not. All I can say is it was the nineties. Uh, it's, it's the only thing that I can say to uh, explain yeah. why a poster like this would make people want to come to this show. I mean, it's got to be seen to believe. Be believed. <laughs> I mean, our cover was had like you know found art this type of thing. Um, so it, that was something that was all over the place, but. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, but I remember, like you were talking about the last show, and I think Portland, La Luna, was the second to the last show on this tour, and that's when it things was. started heating up. That, that was a pretty good show too. Yeah, La Luna was 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 good. That was that was that was fun. Maybe there uh, was some you know some radio that was helping out back then. Oh, he's got the website. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> that's what we had. Did we have that? We had dial-up at that you point, You got right? dial-up? Yeah, it was only Gabe, dial-up. That's, that's how you ordered Chipotle online. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had to find a local phone number at the hotel so we can get dial-up and call a local number, not a long-distance number. You guys remember this stuff? Oh, yeah. So you can get online and, and check your email or, or send a fax. I had a pager on that tour. I don't you had what? Had a, oh, a pager. pager. Gabe, Gabe, you didn't have a pager yet? No. I just, it sounds to me like Phil was in charge, Gabe, and you were not. I was kind of in charge, but barely. I, I barely had a handle on what was going on. I remember I had to. I had to. The most embarrassing part of my job was to have the sound scan sheet signed by the club owner or the oh, promoter right. for the two CDs we sold that week or the cassettes. <laughs> you know, can you please sign this here so I can get the sound scans for the two records we sold last night? You had to get <laughs> sound, so- sound scan. Oh my Jesus! God. It's like hold on a second. Out of the ten people that were there, we sold two CDs and probably gave away more and i had to have these club owners and promoters sign this stupid thing so it can be official for sound scan like how stupid were we i remember the first night i was so confused when gabe comes like sprinting from the merch table to get on stage <laughs> i was like what the fuck is going on here i thought you were, like you had your own like uh and what's what was the name of that band that had bobo um <laughs> oh come on is it a veil the, the veil. talking about happy mondays no a veil had a, a guy named bobo but it's spelled B-E-A-U. Nobody remembers a veil, huh? Uh, I remember the name. I never... It's a little past my time. Yeah. The Ramones had Zippy the Pinhead would come up on stage. Oh, yeah. Some stuff. I don't want to draw any analogies at all. That's that's when I first <laughs> got my gig, my, my stick, where I would hide behind the amps and, and run out and do my song. Well, the problem was, who am I hiding from? There was nobody in the crowd. <laughs> so I could just stand up on the stage now and, and you know come out and do my parts. Because nobody would see me anyway. There was nobody there. <laughs> I remember uh, at the Dragonfly show, uh, we were hanging out after, and the DJ was spinning really good stuff, and I look, and it was Tommy Stinson. Oh, right. And, go, go ahead. Yeah, and I just, I at some point, I got the nerve to walk over to him, and I was like, I was like, you must have some really great stories. He goes, I must. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at that Dragonfly show, uh, and I've told this story before, uh, you know, after the show, we'd say, you know, I've got some CDs, so come up to me if you want some CDs. But we didn't have any of our new CDs. All we had was ham-fisted uh, CDs. So I was like, come up to me, and I've got some. I'll be walking around, and I'd sell them for 10 bucks. And this guy walks up to me, and I wasn't even paying attention. And I turn around, and he's like, oh, how much is the CD? And I go, 10 bucks. And he goes, okay, takes out 10 bucks. And I start to give it to him and I'm thinking, wait a minute, 
I know this guy. And it just didn't click. So I give it to him and he walks away. And I'm just standing there looking at the 10 bucks and Phil comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know who that was? You know who you just sold that CD to? That was Tommy Stinson. And I was like, oh, it was Tommy Stinson. So years later, I gave him back 10 bucks. Hold on a second. You didn't have your own CDs by the time we got to LA, you didn't have the new record? Was it not no. out? It was, apparently it was out. It was out in April. There's no excuse for why we didn't have any unless we sold out. Wow, I knew this tour was, was ill-conceived, but I didn't know it was like on purpose. Like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> like, so it was a good idea, the three by five thing, but it just didn't happen because I think people's, the, the label's, thinking that people would pay anything to see three bands they didn't know that was crazy but phil also thinks it's because they just didn't have their shit together yeah i mean Uh, you're right it's emblematic of the the sort of like there were kind of two things happening then in music one of them was really terrible which was like bands like vertical horizon would have these big hits remember them super like poppy rock ish stuff right. it was a whole slew of those like whiter than white bands and then right. there were what the labels kind of thought were trying to find the, the next version of the grunge scene and we were right. kind of a victim of, of that mentality and like having it look diy was like just as good or better than being diy in some of these people's minds do you know what i mean Right, and it wasn't. It wasn't at all. No. Like the people that they think would go to these shows were not fooled in any way. Right. And I mean, they should have been because this was a, actually a really good fucking bill. But mm-hmm. but yeah, the subterfuge did not hold to the people who knew better. No, I think that's, yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, and it is too bad, but I, mean, like, I don't know. Let's just say all these bands are on Discord. Those guys yeah. might have figured it out. You know what I mean? Like... Right, um, they might have figured yeah. out how to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was, but that was the thing about this tour, uh, and that I, I kind of want to talk about is how much fun it was. Like this is, this was probably one of the biggest train wrecks as far <laughs> as people coming to the show that I've ever been on. But it was so much fun that uh, you know I wouldn't trade it for the world. No, it and, made. I think it made a lot of us in a lot of ways. Yeah. I know that the, yeah. the, the, the far-reaching tentacles of, of what began there kind of changed my life, and we could talk about that later. But, yeah, I wouldn't trade it either. Yeah, well, let's talk about that now. What, what, what changed your life? So after that tour, I got pretty disillusioned with the whole thing. And yeah. I started a band and a business at the same time, a retail business, and I kind of got out of it. You know, I just was playing music to enjoy it, and I was slowly building this little studio and then ended up making a record that made me some money, was a band called Radio 4. And then I was yeah. kind of back in it. And then out of the blue, years after this tour, Kurt called me. Oh, no, sorry. I went to Brownies. You remember Brownies mm-hmm. in East Village? Because the owner was a friend of mine. He said, you got to come see this Canadian band. Okay, cool. It was 99. And I walk in halfway through the show, and it is sweaty mess packed in there. And I couldn't see the band at all, but they were fucking great. We can f- say fucking, right? We're not doing a clean show, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. So no, no. we um, have to say fucking. Okay. Thank you. So anyway, I went in. I couldn't see the band, but the show just knocked me out. 
and then the place starts to empty out and I see the drummer packing up and it's Kurt. Oh. So I was like, holy shit, you're in a new band. You didn't he was always a terrible communicator. So yeah. I was like, this is amazing. And then we went to some party and I met the rest of the band. And then that was 99, 2005, Kurt calls me again. He's like, hey, we lost our sound guy. Our record's coming out, it was Twin Cinema. He's like, come on the road. So I did. And then Carl Newman moved to like a couple blocks from my studio at this point. And I ended up producing the next two New Pornographers records, uh, recording oh. the next two Nico records, playing in the AC Newman band, producing those records. And then that snowballed into Ted Leo and Ockerville River. And it's just crazy. Like it all right. really started with three by five. If, I, if I'm really putting a fine point on it. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. nuts, right? It's and, totally nuts. And it's also very rare that a live engineer ends up becoming, you know, a band's sort of like producer and, and mixer. Um, so, yeah, I think the frustration of 3x5 led me to not want to do live sound for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I mm -hmm. got really tight in the studio, you know, like... Yeah, but there was also that thing like, you know, you were everybody's sound guy, but you, you know... It's just like with Gabe, he, you know, he's not a, a member of the crew. He's a, he's a part of the, the band, you know, part of the guys. And, yeah. But that's, that's crazy that you had to do sound for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time I was like, I was a kid. I was like, oh, yeah, fuck it. Why not? You know? And it did make me better, you know, in a lot of ways. Like I, I got faster. I got my ear developed more, you know, like, right. um, yeah. I mean, what they say, experience is usually expensive, but in this case it wasn't. I wanted to ask you, Phil, what went, so you did, you did the the sound. You did the live sound for Local H on this. I did, yeah. Three by five. Did you? What was the what was the hardest part of mixing them? Um, and and here's this other question I have is, I, did Scott does Scott have like frequencies that he tells you like dial up this and dial down that for my mm -hmm. vocals? Because I was once mm -hmm. tour managing for somebody who had handed me a list and said tell this to the sound guy every night that I need my 5k turned up this much and the blah, blah, blah. If someone has a list like that, they need their own sound guy. But uh, regardless, <laughs> no, I would not say, I will say that I did think at first it might be a challenge to figure out how to have the, the low frequencies filled in. But at the time, I think he had a, maybe still has, but a telly outfitted with bass pickups and like a maybe fattered strings on the top three. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, but it was, it's mostly about but, the, but the it, bass pickup. It wasn't uh, nearly the sort of detriment that I thought it might be just in my head. I was like, wow, this works a lot better than I expected. And, you know, I mean, if there was a challenge, it's that, you know, when people say, oh, the room will sound better when it fills up. <laughs> yeah. um, that never happened. That never <laughs> so, happened. so I had to learn how to make empty rooms sound okay. And uh, yeah. <laughs> There's an art to it, I guess. <laughs> well, did was there a, a a tour manager for the entire tour that was assigned to that tour? You Do know, you guys remember that? I at all? am vaguely remembering because we had our own guy, this guy Bob Chemis, who now and wow. for years has been working with uh, what's his name, Some, Summer of '69, Brian Adams. Wow, you can't say Ryan Adams anymore. It's like it's become a bad word. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, so Brian, he works for Brian Adams, but so we had Bob and 
But we did. They did saddle us almost like when you go to Germany and they give you that superfluous tour manager guy. Right. Um, right. They did that, but this guy was so. Oh, that was another thing. I'm. I'm so glad you jogged my memory. And Gabe, you probably remember this better because you had to deal with him more. And I remember because you don't get frustrated easy. But I remember <laughs> at some points you were like, "Where's this fucking guy?" Like he was always not there. That's why you don't remember him so well. I don't remember at right. all. Right. And he was supposed to like give us the uh, PDs or something. That's right. Yeah. Where's our money for dinner and stuff like that? And he wouldn't be around. I, I feel like he got yanked halfway through the tour. I think you might be right. He definitely yanked us. <laughs> um, I don't remember having to having to go to anybody. But if I was supposed to, the guy was never around. So that, No, that he wasn't. And I, I, you know, Bob Chemist would remember who that guy was. Um, but yeah, he was worthless. Yeah. I mean, it, totally worthless. I've seen people like that on tours before, and it's just like, what are you here for? And and they're usually right on European tours. Yeah, they don't last very long. It's it's called nepotism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the relationship between the three bands, because like it was it was uh, constantly rotating, right? So one night you'd be <coughs> headlining, another night you'd be in the middle, another night you'd be first. Yeah, right. So there was. Uh, Stanford Prison Experiment on one end, who was just tight and super aggressive and super political. And then there's Limb Lifter on the other end, making, pop writing these great pop songs, you know, constantly talking about how much they suck and, you know, being self-effacing. And, and, I, and I was trying to do this thing on that tour where we we're trying to be in the middle, like, you know, sort of be aggressive, but also, you know, I like pop pop songs, pop music. Um, and, and that's the way I saw our sort of role in, in those three bands. Hierarchy? Um, you know, not that that ever works out. Yeah. I mean, not that that ever works out. It's kind of pretentious I, to sort of like put yourself in that role. No, I think that's, that's fairly accurate. And I think one of the things, cause I, you know, and this is not a dig at all, but I think Stanford with the exception of Davey really, they were a little bit like intimidating in how just like abjectly serious they were you know? <laughs> and like, right. and it was like, it was, I mean, not scary. Just, you were kind of like, wow, these guys fucking mean it, you know? And I don't yeah. do, do we like, is it, you know, is it, and so I think it, at first everyone kind of felt a pecking order that went away, <laughs> you know, like, and it got goofier and drunk, more drunken, um, which is better. Like by the end, it was almost like everyone was the same band. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, uh, trading songs and playing each other's songs. I remember, uh, limb lifter started playing Eddie Vedder by the end of the tour. Yeah. Cause, and, cause we weren't right. That's a great song. That's why Brian was really in awe of that one. Oh. And I think it was especially cause I mean, obviously in that, in 96, right. It was 96. Am I right? Yep. 96. Yeah. yeah. In 96, Pearl Jam was inescapable and frankly annoying. Um, and so hearing that in a song, like just the idea of if I was Eddie Vedder, would you like me any better? It, and you don't even know if your perspective or if that character is singing to a girl or to a label. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Or a radio station. Yeah, or a radio station, right. And yeah. so it, I think Ryan was really, he just got a real kick out of that too. And we all did, but he especially was like, that's fucking clever, man. <laughs> like, Oh, that's good. I mean, that's nice to hear. Uh, the, 
those guys had a really good taste in covers. They were doing that Built to Spill cover every night. Oh, yeah. You arrive and I'm on fire. What's the name of it? They are That's all reasons, reasons to be. Yeah, that was, they were doing that great, too. Did you guys uh, all stand out front in the audience and watch every, watch the other sets? That definitely yeah. happened. Yeah, you kind of had to because there wasn't anybody else there. <clears throat> you needed so to fill the room. <laughs> yeah, you needed to... You, you, you needed to Soak up the sound somehow. Right. And you I wanted mean, we were... the other two bands to be there for you when you were on stage. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's how you knew who the asshole was, who ever wasn't <laughs> watching the other bands. If we were smart, we would have made more of an effort to get to the towns the night before and go get drunk somewhere and just get everybody be like, come to the show. Like, we, you know, we didn't really how do How drunk that. could we possibly have gotten? <laughs> I mean, there's, how much beer would we have... To, and how many bars would we have had to go to to make the... I mean, we were playing some I would have been places. willing to find out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure would have. I mean, we were playing Trees in Dallas. Uh, oh, yeah. we, we were playing Metro. We were playing... Uh, 9.30 Club. 9.30 Club. Lupo's. Um, Wasn't that the big room in Lupo's? We did the big... Back then, the big room in Lupo's was a whole different place. Like, it was, a, it was an old uh, department store, and now it's like a, a theater. If it still exists at all. But they moved. You know that, right? The Lupos mm-hmm. we went to was a former department store. And the, the escalators were still in place. And they had the... Yeah, we were in big Lupos, not little Lupos. You're oh, right. so but, we weren't at the Lupos Heartbreak Hotel. Thing. No, they, uh, that's a we great were, question. We? I don't know if they changed the name, but Lupos moved. Like three blocks away into a, a proper theater years later. But they had the two Lupos. The You're one, right. The big the little, Lupos room and the little room on the side. But the little room was like the Met Cafe or some shit like that. It had yeah, different it right. Cafe. Later Cafe. on, we played with Godsmack there in wow. the little room. But for the 3 by 5 tour, when there was 10 people, we played the big room. Yeah, good planning. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't we do two Trocaderos? Is that, is that right? Let me see. Uh, yeah. Philly Trocadero what? and the San Francisco Trocadero. Neither of which are there anymore, right? I don't even remember the San Francisco Trocadero. I, I feel like that room had a different name a long time ago, and, and it was a famous place. Not the Winter Garden, but some, something like that. It was big. I remember that. <laughs> no. I don't know. No, I, that, the one story I remember about, about uh, Lupo's was we had pizza there. I remember we, get, we got there early. Oh, this could be good. We, <laughs> huh? Remember the story? good. No, I just like pizza. Well, it was all of us together. I think, especially the Limlifter guys and us, we were talking about Canada and all this stuff, and we got their pizza, and Joe yeah. had the pizza, and he's like, oh, this is going right through me. And he's like, I got I to gotta go get rid of this. You know, he's, he's had to, you know, use the bathroom. Joe's gonna and like everybody in Limlifter's like, it doesn't work that fast. It doesn't go that quick. You know, it doesn't just go right through you. And, and Joe couldn't understand it. And that, I don't know if they were joking or not, but it was just a hilarious story. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember I the run Kurt would not let that go. Kurt was like, Joe, it just doesn't go right to you. Like, you know, like you're an animal, you know. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I remember is because, yeah, the brothers were so funny all the time. Yeah. Bickering, uh, bickering for sport. Just, just great. Hey, fuck off, eh? We went to go see The Craft. Okay. Remember, the Witch remember Movie. The, the Witch Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Craft. Yeah. Witch Movie? Which movie? The Craft. Witches. There are witches in it. Oh, the witches. Yes, there are witches. That movie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we come out. The movie's over, and uh, and Kirk goes, "Ah, oh, that was a piece of shit, eh?" <laughs> and I, and I was like, 
well, actually, you know, the director kind of, you know, his last movie, Threesome, sort of, you know, involves this, the same themes of, you know, and he just looked at me like I was crazy, which I was. That movie <laughs> has trying a really to defend hard the craft. Cover. That movie has a really hard cover of How Soon Is Now. Right. That's, an, that's the other thing that, that there's a bunch of really bad covers in Threesome. Mm. Uh, they're both very 90s centric with um, a lot of shitty covers of great you can, songs. You can cut this out, but before I forget, did you see The Simpsons with the Marcy? Oh, Marcy, yes, yes. Holy yes, I shit. did. That, yeah. that is one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. What's great about that is is Morris's reaction is funnier than anything on the show. He he he, he you know he doesn't mind that you know that they're sort of saying that he's he's a he's a fascist and he's you know a racist, but he's not fat. Don't call me fat. Don't say I'm balding. Don't say I'm fat. Racist and fascist is fine. Yeah, it's it's just beautiful. And that song that written by the Flight of the Concords guy is so good. Okay, well, I have a problem with that because if you're going to make write a song making fun of Morrissey, it should be funnier than Morrissey songs. And I think Morrissey songs are pretty fucking funny. They and are. I don't think that song was anywhere nearly as funny as Hairdresser on Fire or Shoplifters of the World, Unite and Take Over. Everyone is hard except me and possibly you. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty good. That that reminds me of that, that fishing uh, thing. Um a fisherman's whatever, and it says, uh, "All fishermen are liars, except for me and you." And I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I want to ask Scott, why were you not playing Eddie Vedder every night on that tour? Oh, uh, Joe did not want to play Eddie Vedder. Uh, I don't know if he was embarrassed of the song, um, but it, it got to be a thing on that tour where. Uh, like even Stanford was like, oh yeah, why don't you guys play Eddie Vedder? And every night Lim Lifter was like, are you going to play Eddie Vedder tonight? Are you going to play Eddie Vedder tonight? It's like, nah, man, I don't know. We'll see. And, uh, and finally, you know, that became a, a fight as well. And it was like, look, dude, it's on the record. It's too late. You know, if you don't like the song, it's, it's out, you know. But I think his thinking was, um, I don't know, uh, that we'd play it later. Maybe he just thought it was too much of a, pussy song but like i said it was too late so that's when limb lifter started playing it <laughs> and they did a good version of it so you know there was no need for us to do it but that didn't like arouse like a sort of competitive urge to play it himself um you mean like some reverse psychology <laughs> yeah like 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 if i'm in a band and this other fucking band is playing my song every night because i didn't want to i think i'd be like fuck it i'm gonna play this fucking song now yeah, maybe you would. Maybe we did. I don't remember. Did did we ever end up playing it, Gabe? I, I actually don't think so. I think there was some of that, uh, we're going to save this song for later. It's not the time now to play it. Uh, this is not the time. We'll, we'll do it later. But, right. you know. It's not, not the time when we're playing with a super <laughs> poppy, great <laughs> band who can write great pop songs. Let's save the hooky stuff for another time. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> we, we don't, we, we don't want to come out with our best stuff here. <laughs> I had two questions about the name of the tour, three by five, because I always think it makes me think of like it's like a wood plank, but there is no real like that's index not a card. standard size. Oh, a three by five index card, sure. But then I also wondered maybe it's like that was the 
Maybe there was the cap on attendance. Maybe there couldn't be more than 15 people in, in, in uh, attendance at a night because it was the three by five. <laughs> yeah, but it was, yeah, I think it was just a, like Gen a... X at the time was super into index cards. I don't know if anybody remembers that craze. It was like, like Pokemon cards, you know? Or I Pogs. don't remember that. Yeah, they loved the three by five cards. You're kidding. That was yeah, a I'm thing? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but Scott, when I did Google the 3x5 tour, the first yes. thing that comes up is a 3x5 index card signed by you. Um, that's Which is available. fake, by the way. Oh, it is? Okay. That is not me. That is not fucking me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I was low on cash, and eBay was happy. Like, I just figured, why not? Give it a try. <laughs> yeah. I got a bunch of them out there that say Nico Case on them, too. And yeah? Yeah, no bikes. Before the Radio 4 paydays? <laughs> that's right. So... Here's an aside. Today I was uh, watching, um, fuck, it's it's a Tom DiCillo movie. Uh, I, I can't remember what it's called. One of the ones with Steve Buscemi in it. And uh, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's not Living in Oblivion. It's it's the other one. Uh, and that guy from Boardwalk Empire, isn't it? Bob, uh, Bobby Carnavali. Mike, no, no, not Michael not Shannon. No, not the good one. Not the other good one. Uh, Michael Pitt. Oh yeah. Yeah, so Michael Pitt's in it, and that made me think of that time that we went to that party for the guitar player from, it was his birthday from Gang, not Gang 4, Radio 4. Yeah, And we went to the party, and uh, what's his name from LCD Sound System was DJing. Yeah, oh, he's a terrible DJ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, somebody said it. James Murphy? James Murphy. Oh, it's just such esoteric garbage. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I know you're kidding. Uh, so we we go into the bathroom uh, at the same time. We weren't we weren't trying to do anything. And I mean, and Michael, what do you Pitt, mean, sexually or cocaine? Like, yeah, it, it could have been one of the two. Uh, and Michael Pitt was like getting harassed by some random dude. And remember, we like was like we we stopped Michael Pitt from getting his ass kicked. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. How come? <laughs> After seeing that Kurt Cobain thing, I'm like, maybe we should have let it happen. Maybe we should have let it happen. Yeah, I've heard some stories. There, there, you, you wonder why he got killed off on Boardwalk Empire. There, there's a reason for that. Sure. Um, but afterwards, he said, uh, he goes, I don't know why that keeps happening to me. <laughs> and I said, you don't? No idea, huh? <laughs> yeah, where the fuck was that? It's so funny over the years, just to sort of like random and, and, and I mean, not always random, but sometimes the random places we've ended up like, yeah, you know, and sometimes it was even just like there was a couple of times when you just happened to be in the same city as I was. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, but why? Would right. I, yeah. Where the fuck was it? Don Hills, maybe? <laughs> oh, the party is it not? I feel like the party was like somewhere closer to Midtown. It was feels like it was somewhere well, it couldn't have been closer to midtown i yeah you could be right. doesn't know. seem right it was someplace with stairs uh, hmm. uh i remember there were stairs involved but yeah that's the thing like even though this tour went went down in flames um you know we went out on tour again with stanford prison experiment and um i think we've all remained fairly not close i mean i I mean, you're the only one that I see on a regular basis. Uh, but, but you know, there was definitely a thing that we all kind of, we have that look. Like, if we see each other. Oh, hell like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went through that thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think many people know, maybe you don't want a list to get, get in there, but didn't Davey try out for Local H after 
the whole thing went right, south? Right, right. I had Davey come over for a while uh, after Joe left, and it was... Davey would have been great. It just, it didn't work out, but but it, it would have been so much fun to have him in the band. What was his uh, band after that? Ooh, a really good band. Yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, he started doing well, and you started doing well, and Kurt started doing well, and I was kind of like, oh, my God. Sort of a drift in the 2000s. Um, Did you really... And that's that the thing. One of those... Go ahead. You felt like that? I mean, because I remember when I picked up Pack Up the Cats, and I mean, first of all, as a concept record, it's great, but when I got to All the Kids Are Right, mm-hmm. I was just fucking knocked over. It was such an anthem, and it was so... It was such a great description of, I think part of it w- was a little bit three by five in there, you know, um, just being exhausted and kind of, yeah, you know, not having it in you to play to nobody. And then just, I don't know, that song really knocked me the fuck out. I was like, this is going to be the biggest thing. And you worked with fucking Roy Thomas Baker, right? On that. Is that, or is that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, every, uh, yeah. Oh my God. What was he like? He was, he was a nut job, you know I mean? Yeah. He was, he was exactly what you would think he was. He was like, uh, I don't want to say flamboyant, mm-hmm. but you know, he was just, he was very, uh, English and very, um, you know, he was ready to go. He was like, you know, very, uh, he was an up kind of person. Yeah. I mean, I just felt that that album, I think maybe was a little ahead of its time. It might not have been a good idea to put out a, uh, uh, pop rock record about cats while uh, the biggest band in the world was Limp Bizkit you know it might have been bad timing right there <laughs> That's yeah, I tried to get a hold of uh, Mario to to uh, ask him if he had any specific memories or questions about 3x5 uh, and I haven't heard back from him well, he um, moved back to his own planet and it's hard to, it takes like a couple of days to get a, a call good, back and forth good good yeah Aren't they supposed to be doing some shows with uh, Rage Against the Machine? Is that true? I thought it, uh, they were. Stanford like last with year, Rage? Yeah. When, last year when those shows were supposed to happen, I thought it was Rage, Girls Against Boys, and Stanford. Wow. I mean, that's cool. I, I've never really had a much use for Rage, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, cool. it's good. It's, it's like anger is a gift. He must be fun around Christmas. Um, uh, you know, that. Uh, there's some broy aspects yeah. to the band that has nothing to do with Zach. I actually think Zach is fucking amazing. At but, this, you know, and at this point, one of those put your shirts back on type of bands. At this point, only aren't they only mildly inconvenienced by the machine? <laughs> I, I I I would <laughs> I, I would say so. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I remember the rage stuff getting announced, and I don't think COVID stopped it. I think it was way out. I think it was like a a long ways off like yeah i don't know i but i think those guys might be uh back on stage soon. oh my god i would good, go see that good in a hard reason to do it tell yeah i would go see that i mean i saw girls against boys a couple of years ago uh and they were still great yeah they hate each other but they're still great yeah. <laughs> oh i hate them <laughs> um it's kind of funny how that can work, you know, like the police, like I, I was at, this is, uh, this can not be on air or whatever you want to call it, but, uh, couple- you know, everything you've said, you've told us to cut out and we're not cutting any of it. <laughs> okay. But so a couple of years ago, um, I, I was 
filling in as a stagehand because I have that union card at Letterman because when he finally was like going away, or oh, quitting, that's right. He uh, he his crew of any of the guys that could find a, a full time job would left because they knew they were losing this one. So they right. had a lot of like temp guys like me, and I got to be friendly with the guy who you played Letterman, right? No, don't oh. bring it up. Don't, okay, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. One of the sorry. great regrets of my life. What I played Letterman. How did you not yeah. play Letterman? Twice. See, that doesn't make it any better, Phil. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought you did. Anyway, so one of the guys who's like that talent handler for bands, I got to be friendly with him. And a couple of years after Letterman was done, out of the blue one summer, he calls me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm working. And I was on this TV show. And he's like, you want to go see you too? And I'm such a dick. In my mind, I went, <laughs> nah, not really. In my head. And I was like, yeah. you know, if I get done with work in time, yeah, I'll meet Joe over there. Sure. And then. Like 20 minutes later, I called him back. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll find a way. Yes, I'll be there. What an asshole. Like, you're not going to go see U2 for free. Right. So he meets me at the stage door. We get Because U2 and David Letterman were pretty tight. They usher us in, take us to this incredible spread of food, and then take us under the stage to see that the edge has what looks like a guitar center under the stage. Like, every <laughs> right. guitar you can think of. It's like, do you really even need this? And then... So now we're side stage, and it was, this is the craziest thing. It was Jimmy Page, Nancy Pelosi, and uh, what the fuck? Is, Charlie Rose, who <laughs> looked like he'd had his third quart of vodka by then and was being held up <laughs> by this young assistant of his. And so you two were fucking great. And I almost didn't go because I was like, eh, I don't need to see you two again. Like, I was so wrong. Yeah, and what's funny it's too about that show is you two did three things. They did like a their basic band set, which was, you know, oldies for better or worse, whatever you're going to call it. And right. then they had this catwalk that they all played up like all like astride each other. Um, and like then there was this little tiny stage at the other end of the garden where they got rid of like everything and played pretty much like without... I don't want to say without amplification, but there wasn't mic stands or anything. They kind of just had like a, a little thing. And so there were people on the floor who were as close to you 2 as they're ever going to get. And those floor seats were probably a thousand bucks a piece. Right. And they're filming the Jumbotron with their phones. They're three feet from Bono. And they're filming the fucking Jumbotron with their phones. Like, this is... <laughs> right, you idiots! When you said all that time ago, like their logs are mined onto the, their minds are logged onto the net, it's like it's gotten so much worse, and it was bad then. Yeah, can you see this picture? Uh, I mean, I, I sent it earlier uh, to me. Uh, well, yeah, to all of us. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, the Moe's photo. So I can see, uh, I can see. Ryan front and center. I mean, who are all these people? Oh, there's that's is that Davey next to Ryan? Yeah, I think so. Who's there's on crutches? Me. I don't know who that is, but there's me in that love battery shirt. There's Gabe doing uh Oh, no. Is, who was on crutches with the, the guitar player from Stanford, right? He was on crutches? Yes. By the end of that tour, he was on crutches. What happened? I don't remember. They you know, they were all into like surfing and hiking whatever like they, they were always doing shit, so I don't. Yeah, I don't remember what happened to him, but it was definitely right. Every day they were surfing. It's like, what did you guys do? Uh, we watched TV. We found a good taco place. Yeah, yeah. Called Went Chipotle. To Chipotle. In the future, 
Gabe looks like he's. What are those things that you're doing with your hands, Gabe? Those aren't hang ten things. Is that you got doubles happening? It's not the metal. Uh, Am I doing the the Dio thing? I I don't know what I'm doing there. I never do that. Looks like it's inverted. It's like you know where you're where it's you can't see the goat. It's like it's the back (laughs) of the goat head. Where did that photo come from? Was that a digital picture? That yeah, it's it's a photo that was in that this review, I think, right? It, it was either that or it was a a limb lifter post or something like that. Oh man, I don't know. I mean, it's super. But, oh yeah, there you are, Phil. Yeah, I'm, there, I'm right there you under are. the O. Right under the O. It, you know, it, it, at first I thought it was just a picture of Ryan and me with a bunch of uh, kids who were at the show, but it's all of us. I mean, we all look like kids. It's freaky. We were kids. We really do. It really looks like teenagers at, at most. Oh. Yeah, it looks like, but, but that is, that was an end of tour photo, and it looks like we're just posing with people who are at the show. We, yeah, which we were. Those are the people <laughs> that were at the show. That is the crowd. That's Minus the crowd. A couple what, that were on stage. What was the was, guitar player's name from Stanford? Uh, it was Mike. Mike, right? Mike was the guitar player. Mark was the bass player. Yeah, that was Mike on crutches. It was Mike. I don't remember him being on crutches. Such a good guitar player. Those guys were, you know, as I said before, and it's, you know, it, it's kind of a cliche to call a band tight, but they were super tight. When you they listen to that machine. record, it, yeah, it grooves too. And I remember, Phil, you were so impressed with them, not just the way that they played, but you were like, I remember you came backstage and you were kind of almost like, yeah, these guys get the award for, uh, you know, being the hardest workers. Like you were trying to guilt the rest of us into working harder and i was like okay 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 but they, they I get were it. i get it <laughs> they just had they, they had a, a, a real serious air that i i think after a while would have gotten really they, they let it down obviously but at first it was like whoa these guys came to play yeah it was i i, I think it's worth noting that uh after that it did not continue i i can't think of, there might have been another uh three by five that it was supposed to happen the next month, but I don't remember it actually happening. And if it did, it would have happened one more time because um, I think the label realized the error of its ways. But over at Universal, there was a thing going on called Seagram's $7 Bill Tour, and that started in June. So I think they got wind of what we were doing and decided to start their own thing, and that had Gravity Kills, the Nixons, and Hog. Do you guys remember Hog? Yeah, sure. Okay. Now, how, so, how much money was that one? Six bucks or seven bucks? Seven. Seagram bucks. seven. Oh, seven bucks. Seven dollar okay. bill tour, y'all. That's dumb. Let me ask you. I can't remember back in the late '90s when you weren't on this cheap shit three by five kind of tour. How much were ticket prices for a typical local H show? I mean, I know things are different around the country, but right. I mean, it couldn't have been more. Right? Than- couldn't have been more than 10 bucks yeah everything was like 10 bucks even even t-shirts were 12 bucks when we first started and i think we got the 15 for a while but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if eight bucks was was a i mean i mean there was there were more like cover charges than tickets which you know i still run into how much is it at the door you know what's the cover charge this is all reminding me of one of my favorite todd barry jokes when he talks about fagazi yes and he's like He's like, I wonder if someone in the band ever said, I, look, guys, it's cool, five bucks a show, that's great, but like, I have an idea. How about six bucks? Because six <laughs> bucks times 800 people equals me not having a roommate when I'm 50. 
<laughs> the silly, silly, not dry at all, Todd Berry. Yeah. You know Todd? Very well, yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? He's, I think he's doing great, actually. Um, he had a podcast for a while, and he quit because he, he got really busy with, like, writing for stuff. And, like, um, I know he's not touring, but uh, he will very soon. He's definitely chomping at the bit. Yeah. But he's fucking great. He's only He's gotten better and better and better every every year it just like gets tighter and his thing is more his thing than ever oh he's so great but i i can't imagine him doing a podcast i mean i remember him being on that seinfeld show comedians talking about cars and that his episode was such a crash and burn i mean it was that became the yeah. joke of the episode was that trying to get mm-hmm. him to say boo was nearly impossible <laughs> yeah I know. I know. That's his way. And that's all you're going to say about that. What, what are you, Todd Berry all of a sudden? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I actually, because it was so Todd, I enjoyed it. How did well, Todd was doing all those, like, he was doing them like rock clubs. So he suddenly was. he had a lot of really good rock yeah. biz jokes. He doesn't really do that so much anymore, but that was, that was always funny. The Wilco joke was always good. Oh, well, what's a Wilco joke? Have you heard the new Wilco Todd Berry album? by way of Phil, everybody. Have you heard the new Wilco album? And the audience goes, no, neither have I. But ask me <laughs> if I've heard the new Wilco album. Ask me. Have you heard the new Wilco album? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you remember that? I, I, mm. I don't remember. The, the, you know what? I, I'm sure I've heard that joke. But okay. I, I don't actually. Yeah, he. Actually you're right. He it. did. He, he had some rock centric jokes for a while. That and the the other one about the Allman Brothers. Like, okay, here the, we go. The drummer, and he's like, "If you're a drummer, and you join a band that already has a drummer, you might be an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> so you don't think you're ever going to go on the road again? Basically. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Yeah. I would definitely go. I mean, in fact, I've been itching to do it a little bit now because it's been such a fucking groundhog day of a year. But uh, uh-huh. yeah, I would totally go. Yeah. You, you, what do you, what I mean, you? The last time I saw you was we, our touring days had about like a week to two weeks left to live. We were Soul Asylum. Oh, that was right before the fucking pandemic. That was my, That's right. That was the next to last rock show I saw before it happened. And that was at the Bowery Ballroom. Yes, that was at Bowery Ballroom. We went out later on that night. We did. And, and uh, I think I got, I might have gotten COVID that night. Get the fuck out of here. I might, I got so fucking sick that the rest of the tour was like, you know, when they canceled the tour, I was almost happy. I was like, uh, you know, thank God I, I didn't have to tap out. But I got so sick. And if it wasn't COVID, it was something very, very close. So well, a lot of people in New York at that time have that exact story that you're probably right. You probably did get it. New York was was ground zero. So I, I, we shouldn't say ground zero about New York anymore <laughs> after. Um, but, you know, it, never you know, forget. It, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you probably did have it, and you probably got it there. Yeah, and then I wonder how many people I gave it to. I mean, we should definitely cut this part. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In home, still projecting 
saw this documentary on this band Fugazi. You guys know about them, right? They're what's called a punk rock band. And they have a lot of integrity. They won't charge more than five bucks for their concerts. Five bucks! You know there's got to be at least one guy in the band who ain't happy about this. <laughs> the drummer is going to snap at rehearsal and they're like, Hey, fellas, can we stop a second? I had the craziest idea. How about six bucks? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that extra dollar times 800 people a night times five shows a week equals I don't have a roommate when I'm 47. <laughs> That's what I was hanging. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm.